Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood, and uh, this week we've got a very special guest, Gavin Conroy. Welcome, Gavin. Hi, Dave. How are you? Very well, you? Good, good. Um, now, you're very well known as an aviation photographer uh, in New Zealand and probably around the world, I guess. But how long have you been interested in aviation? Um, oh, I think probably since about the 1980s. The Air Force used to have some really good air shows at Woodburn. Yeah. And I remember there was, they had aeroplanes. Well, I remember one year we had a Starlifter do a display out there and an F-111 one time and along with the Air Force doing their thing, um, there's a lot of aeroplanes flying around and I guess interest sort of um, started from there really. Right, right, okay. And uh, so you were, you, you've sort of always been from Blenheim, growing up Blenheim? Yeah, yeah, always um, always lived in Blenheim. I worked, uh, worked out of town for a wee while but come back now, I'm pretty settled here, it's, it's, it's good to be in the middle of the island, uh, or middle of the country rather, because you can get an aeroplane and pretty much fly anywhere and it's not a, a long distance to travel, which is quite helpful with the photography. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you're a pilot yourself, aren't you? Yeah, I, I got my licence a few years ago now, probably in the uh, late 90s I think it was, and never really thought about making a, a career out of the flying, so just got my PPO and had a bit of fun taking people around and, um, yeah, and sort of did so much of that and then sort of figured out I, I probably would never fly a Mustang or a Spitfire, so I thought, well, if I can't fly one, I'll try and fly with them. So right. I guess that's where the photography came along because it was uh, the best of both worlds, I think. Okay, well, we'll just... Um Look at your um, actual photography. When did you get into photography um, to start with? Um, I think the first aviation photo, I was looking through some the other day, and I think the very first one I took was with one of those little skinny Instamatic cameras um, when I must have been about, I don't know, 12 or 13 when the, the four Bristol freighters bowed out of service with Safe Air and they did a circuit around town. I've got this photo with these four little wee dots and you can tell they're Bristol's own. Yeah. I think that was the first um, first photo and then gave it a break for several years um, until deciding to give the air-to-air -air photography a go. Um, probably in about 2004 or five, I started thinking about that. Okay, okay, yeah. So it was sort of a conscious decision to, to get into the air-to-air -air stuff? Yep. Um, I mean, I, I quite enjoy the Warbirds and... Um, I remember seeing Tim Wallace's Spitfire turn up and to Woodburn uh, when it was it hadn't even been painted then, and that was, that was quite a special thing to see your first Spitfire ripping around. And that, I think that's where the the real Warbird interest came from. And after going for flights and um, Mustang and Kitty Hawk and stuff, I thought, gee, I'm probably never going to get to fly one of these. And I thought, well, how can I get more involved in it? And so the possibility with the air-to-air -air stuff sort of come around thanks to Graham Bethel um, flying his Mustang alongside uh, Jay and I and Anchang one day and the photos that came out of it were pretty good, I thought. And yeah. So we sort of um, just carried on from there. Oh, right, OK. I, I think um, one of the first posts you ever made on the forum was um, one of those shots of the Mustang flying over, I think it was over a river. Um, yeah, that, was, yeah that, that, one, that one was taken from a... A Cessna 180, we couldn't get a, a camera ship that day and a, and a passenger that was in the Mustang wanted to have his photo taken and um, Graham didn't have a show of full mating on this 180 so he sort of, I think we were doing about 90, 100 knots and he comes zooming past at about 150 and I think it was really the only one photo that we did get oh, okay. the, the passenger in the back was wrapped. Yeah, well it would have been, it was a great photo so, yeah. Um... So when was your sort of breakthrough with uh, publishing of photographs? And, uh, you know, what, which magazine and which aircraft, that sort of thing? Um, I, I started to submit some stuff to Aviation News. I, I had a conversation with Graham Orphan back in 2004 and took some photos at um, Wanaka. That year show, that was the first time I bought a digital camera. And the only reason I bought one was because uh, it was the last Brightlings fighter display and I always thought I'd like to have my own set of photos. And I mean, they're not the greatest, but... Graham sort of, Graham liked some of them and said, you know, you should think about perhaps taking a little bit more seriously and you can, if you can get involved with the people and yeah. um, the pilots and the aeroplanes. Right. So, um, yeah, we pretty much pretty much started from there, I guess. Okay. Um, and, you know, over the years, all the pilots, have been, the pilots have been great. So, yeah, it's been an interesting road, that's, uh, that's for sure. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And of course, you've um, you've still got a day job as well, haven't you? Yeah, well, I, I work for a company selling into the vineyard sector, and um, vineyard sector's a bit quiet here in Marlborough at the moment, um, due to a lot of reasons. But yeah. um, so most of my well, all of my leave days are pretty much used up um, to do the photo sh- uh, photo shoots. And my boss has been quite good sometimes, like with Brendan Deer Spitfire and things like that. You know, we were waiting to do that photo shoot for a while, and we had to wait for the weather and stuff to come right. So. There has been times where he's been good enough to give me um, a day off at short notice to go and do those things. Right. Um, but it sort of means you don't get a holiday, but on the other hand, um, flying with something like that is probably the equivalent of four, four weeks annual leave or something, really. It's such a buzz oh, how are you? Um, to do that. But I think the, um, the, the just back to the question you asked before, just thinking about that, after that, the conversation with Graham, we sort of took some photos for a while and... Uh, in 2007, Gene DeMarco and Stuart Tantrum worked out the flight with the Seven Fockers and um, invited me along to do that. And I think that one, the one shot we got with them almost looking perfect went on the Classic Wings cover of, um, of that edition. And it was um, a photo that got a few comments in regards to it being photoshopped because there was no way the pilots could fly the aeroplanes um, as well as that, and there's no way the photo was real and things like that. So it was a few interesting comments came from it, but it, it is 100% real. The guys got it right, and we got the photo at just the right time. So yeah. I think that was really the breakthrough, Yeah, I think, in terms of the publishing stuff. I remember when you um, had just got that photo printed the, the next morning, and, and you showed me a copy of it. And, yeah, well, that, um, I do remember that photo. I, I printed off about, went in a town and printed off, I think ten to give to all of the, all of the pilots, and yep. it was it was quite funny because it was actually one of the worst ones. And I'd had two memory cards, and I I downloaded one, but hadn't downloaded the other. And then it, it turned out that the the formation of the of the seven stacked up was actually on the other um, on the other disc. Oh. So the pilots were quite surprised because they thought that was the best photo that we got, and they were. I remember they were all standing in a circle, sort of being quite critical of this guy's out of the wrong position and I should be there, not there, and I think they thought that was the best that came from it, so they were quite rapt to see it uh, later on, but they did get it right. Right, right. Oh, fantastic. Uh, it certainly uh, was really the photo of the airshow, wasn't it? It was um, quite iconic. To see yeah, and it was, like it was just something that came out of... Um, came out of nowhere. Stuart Tantrum just came up and grabbed me on the shoulder and said, I've got a job for you, and off we went, and... Uh, you know, it's quite a big surprise. We did have one attempt at it the day before, but we couldn't quite get everything together because it was quite a busy time. So we went up first thing in the morning and um, had another go. And um, I'm pretty pleased to get that result. We thought about doing it again at the air show that we just had, but we sort of thought we'd never get that photo any better than that. Yeah. Um, the quality of the camera and the, the lenses I've got have changed, but I don't think we would probably repeat that quite as well as we did that day so we've just sort of left it alone right right do you get inspired by other um photographers do you have any sort of you know idols and aviation photography that you know i think uh, phil mccann has been doing it for years with his ghost calendars and um i've worked with him a few times and, and quite enjoy working with him worked with him down at wanaka last time and i think we'll be doing the same again this time so right. you know he's he's very laid back and has the same kind of um reasons for doing the photography I think as I do you know he loves flying with the aeroplanes loves getting up there and in that challenging environment and and giving it a go and you know he's flying with so many aeroplanes around the world so um yeah it's good to to look at somebody like that and being able to fly alongside them like we were down at Wanaka was was quite a good experience and we both worked together and shot the same aeroplanes sometimes because there was only you know one opportunity available with some of them so yeah it was um it was quite good right right and what are the um, the best sort of angles and, and backdrops and that sort of thing? You know, um, it's and the backdrops is, is quite interesting. It's one of those things you can't plan. And I was I was thinking about this, about that this morning. Is that you can go down to Wanaka and fly with an aeroplane, and the background's always going to be perfect. Yeah. Um, when you go to Marston to fly with the World War One stuff, you know you have to be mindful of this, the town, city, and the background because you don't want all the the modern day stuff in the background. Right. And then when you come down to Omaka, if if it's the wrong time of the year, you've got the nets all over the vineyards. So there's a there's little things at different uh, different areas around the country to sort of bear in mind. But as long as it's a nice green backdrop or you've got interesting clouds, um, I think the aeroplanes um, 
pretty much make the photos. You know, you get river banks and stuff in the back yep. every now and again, but it's just a matter of sort of flying around and, and seeing what backdrops come into view. Right. I, um, I think the, the, the last Amaka was, um, uh, air show was uh, quite interesting how it was later in the year and all the grapes had turned to the, you know, yellows and oranges and, and stuff. That made some great back, backdrops, didn't it? Yeah, it does, because the, the air shows before, um, because it was later, that, that definitely did help, and flying around with those vineyards um, in the background was quite nice, but of course the weather wasn't the greatest right. during the actual air show, so the colours tend to go away when the sun's not out. Yeah. Um, but it, it is a nice area to fly around, around the Mulberry area, there's a lot of um, a lot of, a lot of nice backdrops, you've just got to go a fair way to get them, and with some of the aeroplanes we don't like to take them that far. Yeah. Um, just to get a photo. Actually, that's something I've noticed with your photographs when you look through them. Um, you always seem to make it look like that Marlborough is always sunny. There's, there's yeah, it tends to be. It hasn't yeah. been this year. Um, you know, some of, the, some of the flights take weeks, if not months, to, to pull together. And I mean, we're often waiting for weather, and sometimes aeroplanes break down, and um, restorations don't get completed on time. And so there's a lot of waiting around. Um, but when the opportunity does come along, it's Always nicer to do it on a nice day, um, if possible. But then again, on on average days, the photos can look quite good. If the sun just pops its head out every now and again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and the, the um, evening light that you get at Melbourne is always interesting as well, isn't it? Yeah, we don't seem to get those great big banks of cloud like you see in the US. Um, we often get quite cloudless evenings, and the, you know the light's quite good. And we did take some advantage of the World War One airplanes at the air show this year to, to do some of that. And yeah. I think the results of those that the, the guys got that we took along um, were quite nice. And of course, everyone's got a home airfield, and, and Omark is only five minutes down the road from me, so we can plan those um, later day shoots if everybody's around and can do it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Um, do you get any sort of issues with the wind buffet, or um, do you always try and get a nice calm day in terms of flying close to other aircraft? No, the, 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 I mean the 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 flying the flying side of it's probably the most interesting side of it, and that's a, the, the side of it I enjoy the most actually. Like in the Nanchang, when you when you're at 140 145 knots with the canopy off the back, it, there is a lot of noise. Um, very hard to keep the camera still yeah. uh, sometimes um, it's often cold yeah. <laughs> it's quite an interesting environment you know flying around waiting for an aeroplane I, I remember back in 2009 we did a flight with Sean Perrot in the Spitfire and he was doing a, a, a fly past over Woodburn for a display that the Prime Minister was at so we were up the valley waiting for him on a miserable cold June day in the Nanchang and it was freezing, and then the, the Spitfire turns up on the scene, and all of a sudden, you're not cold anymore, and it's the last thing that you think about. Right. <laughs> um, but it, it's quite an interesting environment. Um, smooth days, obviously, are always good, but we shot the Focke-Wolf uh, just before Christmas, and beautiful blue day, but it was rough, and um, you get the wind buffet and trying to work around the bumps and, and talk to each other and give the hand signals. It's quite a a busy sort of five or ten minutes getting those few photos. Right, right. So did you sort of uh, shoot away madly and, and just pick the best then? Uh, in no. Um, there's, there's moments in the... Well, we normally fly a series of orbits, just 360-degree turns normally. Yeah. Because um, they, they take less time and you can make the most of all the angles. Yeah. Um, but you've sort of got to... There's times when the aeroplane looks bad due to where the sun, sun position is and then... You just sort of, I just sort of look at the aeroplane and wait for the light to start to come right again and then start taking the photos um, again right. to try and make the use of the backdrops. And I've, the last couple of years I've been taking photos with both my eyes open so that I can see what's going on on the camera as well as the background that's coming, um, which, right. is, which is quite interesting. It tends to give me blurry eyes afterwards, but <laughs> it tends to just keep an eye on what's, um, what sort of backdrops are coming along. Yeah. And do you prefer to use the Nanchang as the camera ship, or do you have others that you use as well? Um, I, do, I do like the Nanchang and, um, because I get to fly with Jay and um, Al Marshall and guys like that in it, and, they, and they're guys I've flown with many times. With Jay, I've probably flown 80% of my flights with him, so the, the Nanchang's sort of comfortable. Um, we know what what effects we're going to get when the canopy's missing off the Nanchang, um, yep. how well the radios work in that particular aeroplane, so... 
there's no real surprises. Sometimes you can get in a Harvard that um, seems to have a good radio when the canopy's shut, but as soon as you open it and all the noise gets into the mic, you can't speak at all, and that's really tough when you when you go. You, the radio works on the ground, but as soon as you're in the air and you've got an aeroplane that costs a lot to run, and you're trying to take photos of it, and when you can't speak to the camera ship pilot, it does get difficult. So, right, right. Nanchang is. Um, I do quite like that. You can remove that back section of the canopy altogether, which means that the air goes rushing past instead of filling up in the back and causing more buffet. Right, right, yep. Okay. Um, so it is quite a handy aeroplane in it. We've, we've taken photos of um, Fokker triplanes through to Spitfires with it. The speed range is really good from, say, 60 knots up to 145. So, um, and, and then also when you've got a pilot that hasn't a lot of formation experience, now, the Nanjing with the tandem setup means that the, the camera ship pilot can, can formate easily yeah. um, on that aeroplane, and we do do that from time to time. Just the subject flies around and we fly around it. Right, okay. And so when you've got um, pilots like Jay McIntyre and um, Al Marshall that are quite experienced and they can almost instinctively uh, know what you want, or do you have to keep telling them what angle you want? Or? Um you never quite know until you get up there. It depends on the aeroplane you would like. If you're with, if you're with someone like Keith in the Corsair, you know that he's always going to put the aeroplane in the right spot. Yeah. Um, but you know, and because those guys do that stuff all the time. But if you've got somebody that's new to it, it um, you know, as long as you've briefed well, it, it, it normally works quite well. Um, they can see when things aren't going well, and like I can. And there's been times when we've called stuff off because it hasn't worked. But. Um, yeah, it's always handy flying with, with camera ship pilots that have done it before because um, they do know what to look for. Right. right. I guess another consideration that most people who look at the photos would never think about is how much money it costs just to go up and do a photo shoot and, and how quickly you have to get it up and down sort of thing just to, to keep the, the cost yeah, down. Yeah, Ray Hanna told me a few years ago um, when I, I first started thinking about it, taking his air-to-air photos, and I, and I got the impression that it was a difficult thing to do, and, and there's no question it was an interesting interesting road, and it's one of those things, you, you've just got to do a lot of it initially to get comfortable with it and learn um, how it all works. And Ray Hanna said to me, you know, if you, if you can't get all the photos that you need in one big orbit, then you shouldn't be doing it, and that's one thing I often, often think about, especially with... Um, you know, the Air Force, when they've got expensive aeroplanes alongside or yep. aeroplanes like Spitfires and Mustangs, the pilots are good enough to give you the time um, to fly with the aeroplane and you need to make the most of, of the time that you've got. Yep. Um, so normally, you know, five or ten minutes is all you get um, and if you do it enough and brief well, you know, that's plenty of time normally. Yeah, absolutely. How does it actually feel when you're sitting there with that fighter right up beside you? Is that like an adrenaline rush? Yeah, I think, but particularly with the World War Two stuff, um, you know, there's, there's times when you can take your headset off or your helmet off and you can actually hear them flying alongside. Yeah. And I know Al Marshall could, um, when we flew with Keith of the Spitfire, with Brennan Spitfire initially, he could feel it alongside. Because yeah. the, good, the good pilots get in nice and close and to get clear photos, you've got to get in nice and close if it's, um, if it's safe to do so. And particularly, I guess, flying with, you know, the P-40 Tomahawk's always been a favourite of mine and, and, I, and I quite enjoy flying with John Lamont and, you know, seeing that thing just turn up alongside after all the time and effort that went into it and only one of three flying in the world was yeah. probably one of the biggest thrills I've had for a while. Oh, and such an amazing set of photos as well that came out of that. Um, you did really, really well. Yeah, and I mean, it, it was one of those things that just took so much time to get done and um, we briefed pretty well and, you know, there's a few hand signals and... There's times, there's times to change the formation to make to make angles easier, like from going from one transition of having the aeroplane alongside to the pilot knowing, or the subject pilot knowing when you want him head on like we did with the Tomahawk. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not an easy thing to do, but the, the P-40's got quite a, a good shaped nose and the canopy... Um, tended to give John a lot of visibility. Some aeroplanes, like a Yak-3, it's very hard to get a photo like that behind the Nanchang. Right, right. Um, but the, the canopy position on the Tomahawk was a lot better, and, and yeah, John was uh, he was quite hit on that day and quite close, yeah. which was which is quite handy to get in those clear photos. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and what about um, the shoots you've done with the Air Force uh, out the back of the Hercules? Um, do they add a whole different aspect to it? or? Yeah, they do. Um 
we, we did we did that at Wanaka um, a couple of years shows ago, and the best thing about that, from my point of view, was the fact that I could you know, sit on my backside on this ramp and just took photos for about an hour. I didn't have to talk to anyone, didn't have to give anybody hand signals. Yeah, um, could just make the most of the experience and. You know, there was, I think there was a couple of briefings we went to quite long in depth ones to make sure that everything was right and um, it does give another whole perspective altogether. The only thing the Hercules does do is, is have a lot of heat haze so um, you could sometimes see the aeroplanes behind the heat haze and uh-huh. you can't, the photos are no good with the aeroplanes are there. But that was one thing we learned and if, I guess if that ever happened again you could... Um, you could look explaining things a little bit different because it was hard for the pilots to see it. There was a lot going on with so many aeroplanes um, involved in that. Right, right. Um, but, but I think the red checkers look particularly good. Yep. And Keith came in nice and close with the Corsair, which um, which was interesting as well. He'd, he did it a couple of weeks earlier at Ahakia, so he had a fair idea how it all worked. Okay, yep. So, yeah, it's quite an interesting um, perspective, that's for sure. Yeah, certainly is. You've done a lot of um, really iconic sets of photos, the, the Seven Fockers, as we mentioned, and Brendan Spitfire and the P-40C and the Red Checkers. Um, have you got a favourite one? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> it's pretty hard to put a um, uh, to, to put a target on one particular um, flight, I guess. I mean, a, a lot of time the, the experience is just as good as taking the photos themselves. And, yeah. Um, no, I could probably name about 20, I think, which would probably be my favourites, yeah. Right, right, right. Okay. And um, also, um, you've got a website where you've got a lot of your photographs up there. Can you tell us about the website? Yeah, I, had, I mean, I've gone through a couple of phases of websites trying to uh, make a website that works and is, is functional and is helpful to people like, um, you know, people that just want to look at airshow photos or um, modellers, um, so I looked at a lot of other websites and sometimes you'll only find, you know, 20 or 30 photos and I'd, I'd get requests from people all the time and <laughs> it was quite interesting, you know, you get emails on a daily basis of people wanting photos of things and it just becomes such, you know, time consuming and so we put a website together that um, I think most people tend to like yeah. um, the way that it's functional and the way that it works so from my point of view, it's quite good because I can just direct people to that site and they can um, basically grab the photos, you know, off there to, to make their models. Or right, it's quite handy, handy for the overseas magazines as well to have a bit of a look through there and, and get some idea of what's there. And it, it makes things a lot lot easier for me when I have to give them the photos that they want. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I think it's quite a, quite a bit of work, as you know, with a website. You, you think it's going to be quite easy when you start out, and the more flying you do. Um, Obviously, the more photos you need to add, so yeah, yeah, it, 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 is, it does take up quite a bit of time. Yeah, absolutely, it is time-consuming and uh, a lot of work and a lot of planning too to put it, put together a website. So, yeah, and the, and the format I use it tends to work quite well. I think you've got to have broadband though to really make the most of it. I, yeah. I've never had a look with a dial-up computer. And, yeah, I have, so. and I can tell you, you do need broadband. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, which was a, you know it was a hard decision whether you make one that's that's that sort of fits everybody or one that sort of starting to meet the technology that's coming out and um, yeah. it was sort of one of those ways that I had to go one way or the other unfortunately Well I think you've gone the right way because at least you know people can get really good um, quality photographs off, off your site and um, Yeah it seems, seems to work quite well I think most people think that Yeah, yeah absolutely. But it told me anyway Yeah uh, What's the, the biggest and the smallest aircraft that you've shot at air? Oh I don't know uh, I suppose the um, I guess the Catalina would be one of the biggest, yeah. Uh, wingspan wise, um, and the smallest would probably be uh, Al Marshall flying the little Andrews. Ah, yeah. yeah. Andrews special little yellow one from my market would probably be the smallest. Yeah. And again, you know, the the Andrews was only flying at sixty five knots, and and we took those photos from the Nanjing. So, oh, okay. Again, it sort of shows the um, the flexibility of that aeroplane as a platform for that. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So that would be also your slowest as well as your smallest, I guess? Yeah, I think um, there's definitely been slow aeroplanes that, that, that do get pushed out a wee bit. Al, Al did have another five knots, which he didn't tell Jay afterwards. <laughs> that probably would have made his life just that little bit easier. But, um, yes, yeah, I'd, I'd say that would be, um, that'd be amongst the slower ones. I guess some of the World War One stuff, like the FE2, is quite slow. And um, 
but we've used different, obviously used different camera chips for that, so that she's a bit of a slow old girl, that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you always use digital, or do you sometimes use film as well? No, I've only ever used um, digital with the E2E stuff. I couldn't imagine trying to change a film while well, you've got a you know an aeroplane that, that's quite rare and, and time's limited flying alongside. Yeah. yeah. Um, that'd be a bit of a killer, I'd think. But, yeah. you know, guys used to do it, and the, the images are quite good, so... Oh, I guess they just waited for the moment when they only had 36 photos they could take at one time. Yep. Yeah. And you also do a bit of video too where you're up there now, don't you? Um, yeah, very seldom. Um, it's just one of those things sometimes um, you, if, you, if, if I've got the time, I sometimes switch the camera over because the new D, the, the SLRs that have come out, like 7D that I use, has a facility to do both so you don't have to take two cameras along. Yeah. Um, so if the opportunity's there, I do, but it's, I haven't done a lot of it, to be honest. Okay. Um, and tell us about your involvement with uh, the Classic Fighters Air Show. You, you're actually a, a committee member, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, my, my role's pretty limited in that. Um, I guess um, all, all I really do is organise the air-to-air side of things for the overseas guys that come to the air show, and I think we've, um, in 2009, we tried using you know, Nancy and camera ships to fly the World War Two stuff, but yeah. it, it's just time-consuming and gets quite difficult, so this time we used a, uh, a sound via caravan, which was quite helpful, got a sponsorship deal with them, and so we put nine people in there and, and went up and flew with three World War Two fighters, so that, that made things a lot easier. Um, yeah. Very time-consuming, though, because uh, the weather didn't really play the game that much on the, um, the Saturday and the Sunday, so there was a lot of running around I think on that flight, I was directing it from inside the caravan and I took about 40 photos was all I got. Right. Because um, I was sort of running from side to side of, of the aeroplane because I had aeroplanes on either side. So it's quite a, quite a busy time and it took a lot of organisation to get the caravan organised. For World War One, we used a, a Hughes 500, um, which was quite luxurious to use one of those. Yeah. Um, and we'd put an overseas person in, and I'd direct that flight, each flight, so we kept the time down to about 12 minutes per flight, so okay. that was skids off to skids on. Yeah. So it is quite, you know, trying to organise all that stuff, I always underestimate the amount of time that it takes, um, and anyone that's tried to have a go at it would know exactly what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we did get, you know, all those overseas guys up, which was good, and on the Sunday... Because the Avspex team had worked so hard on that Tomahawk, um, and, and I, I talked a while the week before, if we could have, we were going to get all the Avspex team to jump in the caravan and come and fly alongside their Tomahawk because they just never get to do that. And, and on the Sunday, we filled the aeroplane up with um, the Avspex team and, and they got to see their Tomahawk flying alongside for 10 minutes, which was a great thrill. Wall's eyes were as big as golf balls. I'll never forget it. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, and, you know, they could just have a look at their work of art flying alongside, and that, that was quite exciting to be able to see them given the opportunity to do that. And Wall and the, the guys are very grateful for it. So it was, we always try and give something back if we if we can um, at the at the air shows. So it's mainly just... Um, looking after that air to air side of things to make sure we get done what we need to get through with the very limited budget that we've got. Right, right. You, you must be absolutely uh, wrapped to have a world-class um, air show every second Easter right on your doorstep like that, though. It is good because I do a lot of lot of travelling these days through the year. I can't get to every air show. Like, I wanted to get to Marston this afternoon, but, you know, it's just, just you just can't do everything. Yeah. Um, but every second year, just being able to hop in the car and drive five minutes down the road and go home. It's, it's quite different than having to go to hotels and um, travel and try to get out of busy air shows. So yeah. it, it is good to have one on our backyard, and, and we do try to um, make as good a show as we can, but um, I don't have so much involvement in that sort of side of it. Right. Um, okay, well, um, yeah, the other thing I was going to ask you about the air show as an insider and, and someone quite close to it down there is... Um, quite often I've, I've read and I've uh, heard people refer to the air show as Peter Jackson's air show. How do you guys feel about that? Um, I've never, I haven't really heard it referred to as much as that. Okay. I guess, you know, the, the air show plans to get, you know, as many World War One aeroplanes as they can and and Sir Peter's been very, you know, you know with the, the Aviation Museum out there, it's, it's just absolutely world class and without him that would never have happened. So, I'm not sure it's such a bad 
thing if, if people think it is think of it as that. I guess when we try and get so many World War One aeroplanes down here, and 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 he also comes along to the air shows and talks to people, and, and is happy to have his photo taken. So I guess some people sort of put that connection together. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's got to be a, a bonus to have someone as um, amazing as him tagged onto the air show like that. Yeah, and being able, you know, at this time we were fortunate enough to see the new Albatross fly, which um, yeah. You know, he's doing so much good work that to be able to see those aeroplanes here is something everyone's you know really really grateful for. Yeah, yeah, that was um, that was actually a real thrill for me to see that, and um, I don't think it was until the second day that I was watching it that I realised it was Kermit Weeks flying it. He's another you know huge hero. It was, and I mean, um, I guess Gene and the guys knew. <laughs> obviously, they knew all about that, but yeah, that was a huge surprise to us when he when he got here, and and he's been one of my heroes in, in terms of. Well, we're flying for years, and yeah. and being able to fly alongside him for ten minutes was um was quite a thrill. I mean, flying alongside the people was, was just as good as flying with the airplanes, in my opinion. So yeah, exactly. it was great to have him here. He, he was just so enthusiastic and signing autographs, and um yeah, absolutely fantastic guy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, tell us about the calendars that you've been making. Um, the calendar was um was an idea to try and raise some money. I mean, the vintage aviator have been great, and they've They've put up aeroplanes um, for me on on a load of occasions. So we use it as a fundraiser for the AHC and to um, and for the vintage aviator to sell it to sell it Masterton. So yeah. um, I'm fortunate enough to take the photos. So we just put the calendar together, and then the money's raised by those guys, and and, and that's something we're quite proud of. The first we decided to do it the first time round because we had that photo of the seven uh, Falker triplanes on the front, and we thought if we can't sell that. Then we'll have one go, and if we can't sell it, then we'll flag it. But yeah. uh, fortunately, it's worked right the way through. And and as time's gone by, there's been more aeroplanes like um, the Strike Master and more World War One aeroplanes, more World War Two fighters. So this year, we we sort of went a little bit more diverse and, and added some of the World War Two stuff. Yeah. And the the guys at Ardmore sell the calendar as well now. So it's uh, it's pretty much grown into a fundraiser for two or three organisations just to try and raise a bit of money. Yeah, exactly. It seems it, to be working, so um, I'm sure I saw we can it, carry it on. I'm sure I saw it for sale in Hamilton as well. Just um, yeah, um, th- this time it went, um, a few of them got sold at the Whitcall stores around the country. Um, right, yeah, that's what Brett Nichols, who owns the, the uh, Strike Master, organised that. And, and what that allowed us to do was buy a lot, lot more than what we normally would have, which, of course, drops the cost prices, which we, which means the museums and those organisations can make, make more money out of selling them. Right. Oh, that's great. That's really good. So that, that was quite pleasing. And the exposure we got, you know, loads of people seemed to have, to have bought it from Whitcall, so that, that was a good result, I think. Yeah, and, and if people um, want to get hold of it now, you can still uh, get it through the AHC? Um... Yeah, AHC's got it. I think they've got it up at Ardmore and in Marston, and, I, and I'm not sure whether the Whitcall stores have probably still got a few. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's, it's been good just to try and save a bit of money and... Um, and show some of the aeroplanes off because they're just you know we're so fortunate in New Zealand. I think sometimes we we forget about aeroplanes that have flown for quite a while, and it's nice to be able to try and put them centre stage. Absolutely, um, yeah. In that calendar each year. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of showing the aeroplanes off, you've also um, branched into writing your first book. Um, yeah. In the past yeah. year, um, it's come out on the sixteenth of November. Was your your book launch of Precious Metal? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, the the book launch was interesting because it was supposed to have been two weeks earlier, three weeks earlier at another venue. They had the publishers had quite a big um, a big launch plan, but there was a wharfy strike over in Australia where the books were being transited through, and um, the publisher wasn't told that their container was sitting on the um, sitting on the foreshore over there, I guess, waiting to come to New Zealand. So they were waiting and waiting and waiting, and then by the time they were actually told that it was going to be late. Um, we, we couldn't do the book launch, which um, which was a bit of a bugger after all the work that they'd put in. So yeah. we just had a small win out of the market. We had you know, a few of the key people come along. Bill Reed came over and um, from Nelson, and had you know a few key people, a few family um, members there, and we um, we sort of kicked it off. We got some journalists, a couple of journalists, to come along who wanted to write about the photography, and I thought we'd put them in the back of an Anchang in the back of the. We used the Nanchang as the subject and took photos from the Cherokee, so we put them in, in each aeroplane and then swapped them over so that they could write something a little bit different um, right. Right. in terms of the experience of what it's like taking those photos rather than just um, getting the same old text, I guess. 
Yeah, well, that's a great idea. And they both they both enjoyed it and had you know, smile on, smiles on their faces, so it worked pretty well from that point of view. But the book's selling quite well um, around the place, which is um, which is good. Right, and it's um, certainly uh, caused quite a reaction with um, people, isn't it? There's, it's a very uh, beautiful, stunning book, and and everyone loves it. Yeah, well, when it, I'd seen some books, um, sort of nature style um, landscape photography, and and Craig Potton's books. Yeah. And I thought, gee, if I could ever publish a book, it would be great to be able to publish one through those guys. And so I always had that idea in mind, and flew with, you know, probably had half the subjects in the books photo in the book photographed. And um, of course, we didn't have the book planned at that early point. But I took, you know, an album full of photos over, and managing director over there gave me an hour, and we sort of sat down. And, and it, they hadn't published an aeroplane book before. Yeah, a little bit unsure about it, and and he said, you know, I don't know anything about aeroplanes, but I know nice photos, so. You know, it was, I think it's only one in a handful of times we'd pretty much agreed to do a book after the very first meeting. He, you know, he said we never, hardly ever do that. Right, right. Um, and for them to be able to, to put the quality into it, and the quality of it was something I hadn't talked to the, the pilots and the owners about because um, I knew how I thought it was going to look, but, and they were quite surprised when they all turned up in the mail because they weren't quite expecting what it turned out to be either. Okay, okay. And of course, the, a lot of the pilots and owners have been involved in uh, writing their yep, pieces. Yeah, they, um, they all, well, pretty much everybody I could get involved in. It, everybody I thought was either an owner or a pilot of those aeroplanes. I had two people have two people for each chapter, and so there's 25 odd people in there, and it, and it did take some time to get everybody together. Um, yeah. The brief was just really to write 250 words on on what it's like to fly the particular aeroplane or own the particular aeroplane. You know, when we we did that, we thought 25 people writing on the same subject are probably going to write the same sort of thing, but they yeah, didn't. Right. Um, I think the LA9 chapter is, is interesting from Keith and John, both having what seemed to be terrifying experiences with that aeroplane. Um, through to uh, Gene DeMarco, who sent me through his text, and it was like, you know, it was, I was after about 250, 300 words, and I think he wrote something like 1,200, and I... I opened this email and thought, gee, I'm going to have to edit, edit some of that, I guess, and I wrote through it, read through it, and it was, it was brilliant. We just couldn't leave a word out. Okay. Um, so everybody that wrote just, um, you know, was great, and the publisher was good enough to give me 30 or 40 books to send out to all those people um, right. as a way of thanking them, so that was, that was good of them to be able to do that because, it, it, you know, it all takes time. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, um, the, the thing now is that, a lot of people are asking, what's your next book going to be? And Are you actually working on another project? Or? No, not at the moment. I underestimated the amount of time that it took. Um, people, a few people that had published books when I said we were doing it, had, you know, I got a few phone calls and emails saying, you know, watch out. It's a, it can be a bit of a difficult difficult dealings with some of these companies, but Craig's guys have been brilliant. You know, I, could, I was able to pick the title um, of the book and um, the direction of the book, the whole plot of it. So not that there's a lot of writing, but, you know, they were absolutely brilliant to deal with. But it is very, very time-consuming with a full-time job and trying to fly with the other aeroplanes and do all the other stuff. It, it really took it out of me the last few months or last year. Yeah. So if we do it, I mean, it might be two or three years away on goodness knows what. I saw on your forum someone suggested Precious... Uh, was it Precious Wood because of the mosquito? And I, I just... I couldn't use that name, I don't think. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's interesting, though. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, and, of course, um, with the with the book out now, um, you're probably quite willing to move on to other stuff. Have you got any other uh, plans at the moment for other air-to-air shoots? Yeah, I've got a few, but they're aeroplanes that we're kind of waiting on. I guess like the Yak-3 and the Anson, you know, yeah. they're probably a couple of the more... The more interesting one, obviously, there's the Mark 14 Spitfire up at Abspecs, as well as the Mosquito, so there's, uh, there's definitely some aeroplanes there, but it's just a matter of just being patient and following the restorations and um, and just seeing how things go. I mean, I could see another World War II fighters book at some point, yeah. maybe an update of, of this one, um, maybe something on the Air Force. We've got a few ideas, but, um, yeah, it's... Um, I think I'd have to throw in my job, really, to do it. Yeah. <laughs> to yeah. do it again, I think. <laughs> Actually, when when you um, think about what what you've just said, we're so lucky in New Zealand uh, with so many projects going on and, and so much 
happening in the warbird scene. It's great, isn't it? Oh, it's amazing. Like, when you look at the book, I guess one of the key things when we started the book is we wanted an aeroplane from the key nations. And at that time, when we, when we first started talking about the book, I think we started talking about it in about 2009, I think, after we took the, the photos of Brendan Spitfire yeah. above the clouds with Keith, because I thought, you know, if a publishing company should surely see the the nice side of those photos, which they did. And, you know, over the next couple of years, to be able to fly with a Zero and a Focke-Wulf 190 and, you know, to have British, American, Russian, Japanese, you know, to have all the, na- the nations in that book yeah. for little old New Zealand is a pretty remarkable feat, I think. Absolutely. It's quite stunning. Who would have thought 20 years ago that this would happen? <laughs> Exactly, and, and I mean, to have a, a Focke-Wulf parked out at Omarka and to have the Yak-3 sitting alongside it being restored, normally I have to travel to Auckland, you know, several times to follow these aeroplanes, and it's quite nice to have a couple in the backyard being worked on because you can see more of what goes on. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So Jay and his team, you know, they're, they're doing a great job, and they have two World War II fighters parked in a hangar out at Omarka at the moment. It's pretty neat. Pretty neat, and it's absolutely right. And Ardmore's a great place to visit as well, isn't it? Yeah, I love those guys. Um, they've just been so helpful. Um, Frank Parker, Dave Brown, all those guys. Like when we got the three fighters together at the end of 2010, you know, that was... Got the Mustang, the Kitty Hawk and the Spitfire all in the same, um, the same bit of sky and we took some photos from the Trojan. You know, that was pretty neat. Yeah. Um, through to the flights with the, um, the Roaring Forties and all that sort of stuff, you know, they... Great team of people. Um, yeah, it's awesome working with those guys. It's sort of like become a second home, I guess, Ardmore. Right, right. Quite enjoy it there. Yeah. And uh, just um, turning now to the the forum, um, you've been a very popular member on the forum for a long, long time, and, and your photographs are often seen on there. And, um, you know, I'd, firstly, I just want to thank you for all the contributions you've made. It's been fantastic. Um, but over the years, have, have you sort of had any favourite threads that have come up? Oh, I mean, the first one would have to be Al Marshall with the Bristol. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, when I read that question, it was pretty pretty clear in my mind. And in fact, you know, before that, before the old girls finally started, you know, back in her life, Al and I were having a conversation in the Aero Club car park, you know, a few months before it fired into life, just talking about how neat it would be to get this, you know, the Bristol started. And yeah. Brian Morland from the Friends of the Bristol turned up and... You know, we sort of got ourselves into a big frenzy about getting this Bristol photo started again, and it was one of those things that I think I, I think we all thought you'd be great, but it'd never get done. And old Al stuck his head down and and got stuck under that aeroplane. And I, you know, I said, to him, if you get the, if you get the aeroplane started, I'll put two hundred litres of gas in it, and because I didn't think it had ever happened, so that cost me a wee bit. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> he finally did do it, which was which was absolutely fantastic. So, I mean, that, that thread's pretty, it's pretty neat. But I think a lot of the other ones, the air show threads that you've got on there with all the, the photos that people put on there are pretty neat as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and anything on the preserving of the, the old aeroplanes seems to be pretty popular on there. So, no, it's, it's a good all-round mix, I think. To pick a couple of favourites is pretty difficult. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. There's such a variety there, and, and every week something new comes up as well. So Yeah, yeah, it does. It's, it's interesting, all right? You've done well there. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, so have we covered it all? I think we might have, actually. Um, there was one question I think I saw on the forum around um, the gear to use at air shows and maybe oh, yeah. a few yeah, yep. little, little tips. Um, probably the one, the one biggest tip I'd have for people that want to take photos of, of the aeroplanes, the fast movers at the air shows is just get out and practice a week or two before. Um before the actual air show, because often, you know, people, and I'm the, I'm the worst for it too, like the air show turns up and you sort of think you can just pull the camera out of the bag and go and um, take some photos, but it's probably like playing cricket, I guess. Cricket's a pretty hard game and you've got to practice at it and you've got to practice on the day, the day before, to to bring your best game. So I tend to go out to the airport sort of three or four days um, before an air show. I'm doing that today just because Tarong is next weekend yeah. and just take photos of aeroplanes flying past and and getting that panning sorted out, um, again, because that's, that's quite important. And I guess the other thing is sometimes I read of people that sort of take like four or 5,000 photos in a day of photography, and I, I sometimes wonder, A, how it's possible, and it must be a nightmare to sort of sort them all out. So probably the only thing is, you know, pick your moment. Um, 
wait until the aeroplane fills three quarters of the viewfinder before you push the button. Right. Um, because otherwise you'd just end up with a lot of dots in the distance. Um, in terms of camera gear, I've only really ever used Canon. I know Nikon stuff's good, but I've never never used anything like that. Um, a good basic lens is the 75-300 that I think you can buy for a few hundred dollars. It's quite a good lens. It's 300 mils is good for most air shows. Yeah. Um, and there's a kit deal you can sometimes buy for about $1,500 from outfits like Dick Smith and you get a, a Canon 1000D camera with uh, 75-300 and a wide angle lens. Okay. Which is quite a good buy and I've recommended that to quite a few people that have gone out and bought it and and given it a go. Um, but often I get emails from people and, you know, they wonder why their, their photos are blurry and they and they tend to blame their cameras sometimes, but a lot of the time it's just practice and a lot of it. Um, with the air-to-air stuff, it, you know, it takes dozens of flights to really get to a point where you're comfortable with that and yeah. taking the photos from the ground is no different, I don't think. Right. Uh, yeah, I, actually I would agree with that too with um, filming video as well. Uh, practice, practice, practice. Uh, if, yeah, I, if, exactly. I, if I go to a three-day, or if I get even the practice days before, the four-day air shows, it's usually the well into the second day before I start to actually get the thing comfortably right, you know? Yep. Yeah, I agree with that. Look, I'd, yeah. look I only live a couple of minutes down the road from Woodburn, so I normally just go out there, and a friend of mine owns the vineyard alongside Woodburn, so I just drive in there and, and park up there and just take photos of the 1900s flying past or the 172s or whatever, and... Um, just try and get that panning back yeah. and I never use any more than one 250th um, shutter speed to get a nice, to get a propeller that doesn't look like a nice block stick yeah. um, you know nothing worse than seeing an aeroplane with a propeller on the front that's not moving Yeah. Um, so I just sit it on 250th and then just try and get some good photos of them panning and then by the time the air show comes along um, the following week it's normally you've sort of done half the work by the time you get there right, right well, those are really good tips. Thanks for that. And, uh, and the gear, I think the other one was the gear I'm using. I've got a, a Canon 7D, which I which I use, and I've got a um, a Canon 1D Mark IV, which was quite a big investment, which I bought recently, but the photos that have come out of that are just heads and shoulders above the other stuff, and I often think, gee, if I'd, when I started the book, I should have just invested the money and bought one then. Yeah. Because um, the photos haven't, you know, haven't proved quite a bit as a result of a good, good processor and a camera. Right. But some of the old some of the old photos, like there's a nice shot of Gene DeMarco in there in a Corsair in the Corsair taken a few years ago with you know, a little Canon twenty D, which was a good camera then, still is now. Um, you know, crystal clear, I've blown it up to more than a metre for some people that have um, wanted it. Okay. So you can still do it with, with some of the um the cheaper gear, but again it's just that practice I find. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, um, Thank you very much for your time. I think we've pretty much covered everything, and um, we'll uh, obviously see you on the forum again soon, and um, uh, maybe one day we'll have you back on. Yeah, yeah, no, no it's great. I hope you didn't bore you. <laughs> no, not at all. No, it's fantastic. And I'm sure, um, I'm sure a lot of people will be uh, interested to hear this, so thanks for that. Yeah, I mean, with the e-show season coming up, I mean, it'd be good to see more people contributing photos to the forum often. Often see forum posts that say, oh, I took some photos, but, you know, they're not, you know, they weren't that great, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, for those who aren't there, you're better off to post something than nothing. And um, we, we can't all get to these events. And, and sometimes I think it would be nice to see more photos on there. The more, the better, really. I, I totally agree with that. And um, even if the photo might not be up to the standard that others uh, have, it's going to be a different angle, um, something that the other people haven't seen so exactly and it and often amazes me you know you, you can have everybody standing along a crowd line at an air show and, so, and some of the, the different angles that people get you know yeah it's quite amazing because even you know some people you know you take some photos some people are talking to each other some people are eating you know there's all sorts of stuff going on yeah, yeah. and the whole day is never covered and um yeah sometimes people you know put a couple of photos up but that's what i mean for an air show i'll try and put like 20 up or something like that because i think that it's always good to try and to try and put a few up, and like you say, you know, it's good to see people contributing. Like, not everybody's got the good gear. Not everybody's got, you know, we've all got different gear, but it's definitely worth putting something up there. I think exactly give people an idea of what went on. Yep, exactly. And the, the, I have noticed a trend. I don't know if you've picked up on this, but there are a number of people who do put uh, a couple of photos up, and they always start their posts with, "Well, I'm no Gavin Conroy, but." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hate those posts. Do you really? 
I mean, I, I guess that would be the equivalent to to somebody. You know, so some people just pick up a camera once in a blue moon and go and take a few photos, and good on them for getting off their backsides for doing it. Yeah, yeah. But it'd, it'd be like if I don't know, uh, it'd be like Simon Galt and I trying to cook a a banana cake next to each other. I mean, I I know what would happen in a result like that. <laughs> but I mean, I'd give it a go. The result wouldn't be that great, but. Um, yeah, I wouldn't turn around to him and say, well, I'm no Simon, but um, have some of my cake. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, yeah, I, that comment does drive me a wee bit insane. I'm sure anybody that gets a comment like that sort of um, sort of sees it and think, oh, for goodness sake, just put the photos up, mate. We want to see them. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well said. Okay, well, thanks very much, Kevin. I, I really appreciate you um, taking the time to be on the show, and I'm glad that we've finally got it recorded. Yeah, yeah, good on you, Dave. It's 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 quite an interesting concept you got running there. So, um, um, hopefully it uh, hopefully it goes well. It'd be interesting if you can get a get a high profile uh, World War Two pilot, uh, warbird pilot. Maybe someone like Graham Bethel would be an interesting chat to talk to one day. Yeah, exactly. I've got a long list of people that I've uh, I'm approaching, and 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 uh, you know, the, I'm trying to keep a bit of variety there for for everybody. Um, not not put it all warbirds to start with, sort of thing. But yeah, certainly yeah. Um, Graham and a few others. Uh, are on the list, so I, ho- I hope that uh, you know we we will be able to get some of these guys. Yeah, so hopefully um, you should probably start a, a Tauranga air show thread, and um, perhaps I mean I don't know how many people listen to these um, things that you do, but it'd be great if people could um, fire on as much as they can. I think the last classic fighters thread was a good one because there was loads of stuff on there, which yeah. was um, which was really good. Yeah. Considering the, the weather wasn't that great, so the Tauranga guys have got a good lineup of aeroplanes there. So I'm sure they'll get some good weather, and um, so it'd be good to see lots of photos from it. Yeah, absolutely, totally agree. Okay, well, thanks very much, Gavin. Bye, Dave. Take care. Good on you. Good to hear from you. And you too. Cheers, mate. Okay, see, see you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.